0: Welcome to another edition of VLGA Connect and it is my pleasure to welcome back to the program, I think it might be the third appearance actually, from Victoria's Auditor-General Andrew Greaves. Good to have you back, Andrew. It's
1: good to be here, Chris. Um, I always take a pleasure in the opportunity to speak to you and to your
0: membership. Thank you. We we really appreciate it and you've been busy. There's a, there's a few reports that have come out in recent months that we wanted to just check in with you on. Some are very relevant to local government, some are a little bit on the on the on the edge, but I think worth talking about. Can we start with, firstly, you've, um, you've reported on the completion of the 2019-2020 audits of local government. What sort of observations or findings have you made?
1: Yeah, look, it, just the context of that report, of course, for those that may not be aware of it or familiar with it, we, I do this every year, report to Parliament um, on the results of all my audits. So I, I, to me, that's an obligation I have to the Parliament to acquit my work program to them. But I've always taken the view, particularly in the local government sector, uh, you know, given the homogeneity of the sector, although many councils will argue they're different and they're special, I get that, but it really does um, lend itself to benchmarking. So we've taken a lot of time and effort over the years to include in that report some data that councils can uh, compare themselves against with uh, other cohort councils or even more broadly. Um, and Just to kind of get a plug in there for uh, the dashboard, those who may again not be familiar with it, uh, if you go to my website, uh, we tabled that report in March, uh, and go to that actual report page, you'll see that our uh, financial dashboard is uh, up there again, and that has all the financial information that's in the financial statements at, the, at, a, at a summary level of every council in Victoria for the last five years. So you can get some quite useful insights there about, you know, things like your level of indebtedness as a council compared to other councils across Victoria. So if I now segue to the key findings, well, you know, unsurprisingly, we were all impacted by COVID and, uh, you know, the auditors uh, struggled to some extent to get access and uh, complete our work program as did councils struggle in terms of, you know, the resources to compile and produce their financial reports. But I think we worked together really uh, proactively and cooperatively, and um, with the with the grant of extension of time by the minister, uh, all councils were able to produce uh, their financial reports within you know their normal timeframes or their approved extended timeframes, which is a good result. Uh, of course, we're hoping this year we get back to some normality and try and produce our reports back on uh, you know the normal timeframe, September, October. Uh, And of course, the other pleasing result for me with local government is always that um, we issue unqualified opinions. You know, people Mm -hmm. might have a view that the auditor's out there to get you, but really I want my financial auditors to work with each council to make sure we never have to qualify your financial statements. And again, it's pleasing that we haven't had to do that this year.
0: Generally, you you mentioned obviously everyone dealing with with COVID that's impacted on how your audits have been conducted and everyone's made the best of a of a of a trying situation, I think the strong message, the positive message out of your findings is the resilience of the sector in uh, in adverse times is pretty strong.
1: Yeah, look, the, the, and there's you know two ways to look at that. You know, you can look at that as a very positive outcome, and and first and foremost, I think the the, the first observation there is we're looking at the historical data, the reported data as at 30 June last year. Uh, so we're not really looking forward; we're looking backwards. But on those results, you know, we're still producing good operating results, um, our level of debt in the across the sector is generally low. Uh, and so that's a good thing. Of course, we've really got this year to be cautious about and see what the maybe longer term, full year impacts of COVID are on council. So there's a caution there, I guess. But you know, there's another part there's another view here. Um, and I'm not, you know, advocating policy for local government, and each local government will Make its own choices, but you know the 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 level of debt is very low in local government generically across um, Victoria, and the cash reserves are very high. So, from one perspective, you can argue that's a great thing. You know we're quite resilient. We're quite uh, resilient against future shocks. Um, others may take a different view in terms of intergenerational debt and equity, and say, well, why are the current rate payers um, increasing the cash reserves of councils? Why aren't they spending their cash reserves and actually borrowing? to you know, invest in their infrastructure and their assets. So there's always two sides to the coin. It's not for me to advocate one side or the other, simply for me to observe that councils generically seem to be, or generally I should say, seem to be um, reluctant to embrace debt uh, as a way to fund uh, their capital
0: programs. We could go down a rabbit hole here, Andrew. We'll try not to. Uh, you know, inherently, it's a political uh, issue for 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 all councils, obviously, and some would argue the rate cap regime has really taken that decision out of councils' hands because of the way it's administered. I did notice, as I'm sure you did, the ESC has reported that no councils have applied for a higher rate cap application for the second year in a row, and with those existing applications. Uh, granted applications expiring, we'll have every council uh, working within the rate cap for the first time this coming year. Yeah, I
1: mean, that, that's uh, an interesting outcome in and of itself, it means that clearly councils in terms of their financial management, whether they agree or disagree with the policy of rate capping, are, are managing their business to, to um, you know, manage within their means. Uh, as I said, we'll be looking at the impact on their revenues and expenditures through um, COVID this year to see how that may or may not impact on their financial sustainability. Uh, but of course, you know, the, and we won't we won't go down that rabbit hole of debt. I'm sure it's a, a, a long conversation for another day. But you know, debt's really just a source of funding. Um, you know, it's a finance tool where you're simply um, changing the timing of your um capital outflows and and your and your debt inflows. You know, you know. So um, yes, yep. but look, you're right. Your observation that it's quite often a political um, dimension to this, and and I, and I, you know I think a a public uh, view of it too that where the public might um, have a view that bed is, debt is bad and cash is good. Um, so, that, you know, that's
0: the issue. It's such a difficult and complex discussion to have with uh, communities. But uh, I, I think mm-hmm. we've got to table that for another day, Andrew. But happy to come back to it because I think it's probably worth exploring. Um, yeah, yeah. The other, um, specifically, local government audit you've released recently that I'd like to get your thoughts on is the one where you've looked at local roads and you've, you've come to an outcome here where. You're saying councils really aren't in a position to be able to know whether they're delivering value for money in this space
1: yeah look um i guess not unsurprising that finding um if i unpack it this 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 audit on um you know roads and we look predominantly at road maintenance and resealing and sealing as you know one of the major ongoing road maintenance costs has been a part of a thematic that i've had looking at um, the efficiency of local government service delivery you know, and I'm minded about the old 3Rs, uh, rates, roads and rubbish, so we wanted to get into roads and we've done that. And in fact, the next, pro- the next audit I've got to launch is um, looking at council waste management services. And again, we'll be looking at that through the lens of the efficiency and the economy of the purchasing of those services and the delivery of those services. So what we find with maintenance, uh, and this isn't, so, this isn't something that manifests itself solely in local government. In fact, I, I see this as a kind of a universal phenomenon in the public sector. Mm. is that, um, one, we seem to treat maintenance expenditure as discretionary, particularly when the budget gets tight. You know, and now the good asset managers out there will say, well, hang on, you know, what we actually have in terms of we've got to look at the total cost of ownership of our assets and the way to reduce the total cost of ownership is to make sure we have appropriate maintenance interventions at appropriate times. So, you know, we do some proactive and preventative maintenance rather than the old let's fix on fail because we don't have enough funds, you know, and, One of the findings in the audit was that if we looked at the road maintenance budgets each year, they're pretty much the same as last year rolled over. Now, either you can posit that that's because the council's absolutely sure that it's it's delivering value for money, it's got the right balance between preventative and and corrective maintenance, um, and therefore that should be the amount they spend each year. Uh, Or you can argue maybe they don't have the insights to know whether or not the amount they're spending each year is the right amount, and then the split between the preventative work and then this, this reactive fix on fail. So, you know, one example there, or a couple of examples we name in the report where we've looked at some individual councils is that um, they, you know, a large percentage of their asset base was um, beyond their programmed or desired intervention level, and they hadn't been able to get it back down to the condition that they'd wanted it to, which would be a prima facie signal that they're not investing enough in maintenance. Part of the problem we found in this. Was that the data sets that are available publicly? The councils argue aren't that reliable. So the you know the VLGGC data and the LGPRF data, which speak to road maintenance, quite often it was observed to us that you know some of this data is unreliable. In fact, we checked some of the data and we found it was unreliable. But right. it's a bit of a vicious it's a bit of a vicious circle, you know. Like, well, why is it unreliable? Because maybe councils enough time and effort into getting it reliable
0: where's it coming from yeah correct you know, yeah. so
1: if it were you know maybe they don't see the use for it so they don't put the effort into it so it's unreliable and then that feeds on itself right so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy but i think again the key from this report is to um is to kind of emphasize that you know you can actually get some really good insights into your road maintenance programs by looking at your own data and benchmarking yourself so again another plug If you go to that report page, you'll see there's a public facing dashboard, which um, talks about road maintenance expenditure by all councils. And again, you can compare your council to a contiguous council, you can compare your council to a cohort council, you can compare it any number of ways, on a whole range of measures of expenditure. But the other thing I'd point out for those who may not be aware within each council, as we did for the local government ordered into sexual harassment, We've now provided every council with its own unique, customised benchmarking report. Uh, so that report will have the individual result for that council, and will compare that result for the council against, um, you know, the cohort and the broader local government. So that we didn't have that information available publicly through the public-facing dashboard, but I see it as a really important service to each individual council to kind of get them onto this benchmarking bandwagon if you want to call it that.
0: So just to be clear, Andrew, that's all seventy-nine councils or just the ones that were
1: you know, all, all all seventy-nine councils. We yeah, got that. And again, it's it's a hard thing local government, because you know, I made that kind of flippant comment at the beginning that they're all the same, but they're all different. So, you know, um, but there is a lot of truth in that. They, there are a lot of similarities. So there's a lot of homogeneity, you know, the functions you deliver. Um, and that, you know, that we have cohorts of councils, for example, so they do bear comparison, they do bear um, and, and should be benchmarked against um, other councils. And, and my point about benchmarking is we'll give councils this quantitative data. And the point of it is that it's a diagnostic, you know, you, you'll, you'll say, well, here's our result, you know, we're spending, you know, you know $5,000, whatever, um, per, per, you know, square meter, whatever on, on maintenance. And um, this council here is spending twice that and this council there is spending half of that. Now, what I want to understand or what I'd ask councils to do is to understand what the differences are and why the differences are there. So you move from this quantitative benchmarking to a qualitative benchmarking. Mm -hmm. You go and talk to, I would always argue, go and talk to the top, well, you know, the top, Um, quartile potentially the top 25% of councils or the top um, decile the top 10% whichever benchmark you set for yourself you know where do you want to be do I want to be in the top 25% do I want to be in the top 10% so you go and pick but you accept Andrew
0: that um you know a rural council situation is going to be vastly different to a metropolitan council so are you are you um sort of grouping them uh, like for like to have those sort of conversations in your mind I would
1: group them like for like from a number of different perspectives. I don't, you know, to me, benchmarking it's it's a, it's a bit of an art as much as a science. And mm. the first group you would compare yourself to, of course, if you're a small rural shire, is you'd compare yourself to the rural shires, mm. you know, the small shire councils, and you'd say, well, how are we going against that? Yeah. But you know, as the as the um, BLGGC data has with the modifiers, um, another way to compare yourself on road maintenance is to is ask yourself about the contiguous councils, the councils next to me. Because they're probably likely to have the same um, soil composition, you know, and, and, you know, so when, you know, the road base um, and, and may may to some extent on the major roads have the same traffic flows and volumes. So I, I don't think it's a um, just a one, compare yourself to one cohort. I think it's thinking a bit more smartly about what would be the appropriate cohort to compare myself to, getting the quantitative data from that cohort and say, right, And you know, I would, I would, even though we've provided these um, benchmark reports individually to each council, of course, I'd encourage every council to share them with uh, other councils who wish to engage in benchmarking. You know, Um, so I think if you pick, you know, you pick your cohorts, and then you go and talk to different councils, and I think you can, you can learn a lot. You know, Um, I I seem to remember um, an old benchmarking, um, maybe it was a myth, but you know, they were talking about producing lipstick. containers right and um they went and benchmarked themselves against a um, munitions manufacturer because they were basically producing shells bullets and yeah. so there was similarity you know so it's a little bit of Let's be a little bit creative and think out the box about who we benchmark ourselves against. I
0: was going to go. I was going to ask you a question about um, observing innovation, and of course, you know, Victoria is not alone here. Uh, you know, it's a big country, and there's a lot of other councils in other parts of the country that are dealing with the same issues. And I did notice just this week that Horsham in Victoria is using. A new technology uh, for for gravel road sealing that was tested in Narandra in New South Wales, and it's that sort of cross pollination of innovative thinking that I think is potentially going to move us to another level in solving these long held problems.
1: Oh, I'm sure you're right there, Chris. I mean, you know, you've got the VLGA and and what, but you've, you know, you've also got the ALGA. You've got the the roads, you know, um, authorities. Uh, you know, you could benchmark between the state government and the local governments as well, you know. I'm sure they are adapting and adopting technologies and at scale, which may then, which may be scalable and you may be able to bring them down to your context, which may be, you know, a smaller scale. But um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the exciting thing about this. Technology is always moving, moving pretty rapidly. You know, road condition assessments now uh, can be done in a very computerized way, you know, and very, very rapidly. Uh, in terms of some of these condition assessments and the technologies they apply to them. So they should be, you know, they're available to us all, I guess. All
0: right. There was one more thing I wanted to ask you about, Andrew, uh, before you go, and that is I noticed your audit of uh, how Service Victoria has performed in its first five years, I think, I think 2015 uh, it, it started. Um this is all about digital delivery of government services. So while it might not be directly connected to local government, I think potentially it could be at some point.
1: Oh, I think you're right. I mean, the, the general concept of digital delivery of services, I think, is a feature for all of us these days. I mean, most of us want to consume, um, you know, and engage with um, any level of government, local, state or federal digitally, you know, we, with our ubiquitous um, iPhones or, or mobile phones. You know, we we, we we almost are building an expectation that we will do this. And of course, some of the And the private sector in particular and maybe to a lesser extent the public sector are driving us that way you know we won't get into the commentary on bank um, branch closures but you you know you can see that there there are particular strategies driving um and of course the strategies are are twofold i think you know one is about obviously cost reduction um you know and if the demand's not there why would i continue to have a physical presence somewhere but the other part of it must of course be about better more effective service delivery you know, more customised, um, you know, kind of interactions with uh, individuals which, which recognise that individual as an individual, understand their circumstances and give them the customised service that they need. Um, so Service Victoria at the State Government level, I think, you know, has followed some models. New South Wales, of course, um, was ahead of them here. And um, I think Chris Eccles, when he came down from New South Wales, kind of bought that Service New South Wales model here. I think that report really just said, look, um they've set themselves up a nice platform but they haven't really then it's kind of an unrealized ambition here you know there's so much work still to be done in service victoria to bring on um these digital services now you know you could argue that um the local government again you know we're kind of a a loose federation of 79 here you know how, how could how could local government leverage off this you know i think you could you could imagine a world you know not too far down the track where I could have a, a, a digital identity, which I establish once, which is accepted by all levels of government. And once we overcome that idea of a digital identity, you know, my ideal world is I get onto one platform and I can transact with my local government, with my state government, with my federal government. You know. We're starting to see a bit of that. We've got my gov at the federal level already having some state transactions on it. Um, and, you know, I, I would love to think that um, the service FIC model or whichever model is adopted could then have local government transactions on it as well. So I think it's, I think it's it's here, and I think councils should be minded about their strategy and approach to um, this form of service delivery, not least because of COVID, because of the fact that people, um, you know, have, have been working remotely and um, and have been much more online.
0: I think the single biggest thing that's made people more aware of Service Victoria and what it's trying to do is the the, the check in procedure that a lot have chosen to use for a seamless COVID checking in many councils i think have used the service victoria um, app for that purpose which so we're starting to see that connection perhaps being forged
1: and so i really i think you know the, again to the councils the call out is here is look at this as a strategic um, opportunity um, and look one again to you know with the, with the view on cost and the impact of covid and long term financial sustainability ask how you can deliver services through such a platform and whether or not you can actually save some costs in physical infrastructure and and potentially although you know it's always a political issue personnel but more so as I said how can I enrich um, uh, the experience for the user how can I deliver better services how can I how can I make sure people comply and make them more aware of their compliance obligations you know how can I speed up processing times how can I make sure I'm getting the right information from them et cetera, et cetera. So I think there's huge opportunity there for us all.
0: It's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you, Andrew. I could talk to you for quite some time about all of those uh, issues. So um, please come back at another time in the future.
1: I look forward to it, Chris. Thanks very much.
0: And and before you go, just a reminder to people that uh, all of the audits are the reports are published on the audit.vic.gov.au website. As you've mentioned, Andrew, you have the dashboards, which, uh, you know, I've got to say congratulations. They make accessing the information and understanding what it's telling us so much easy, uh, easier, it's very uh, user-friendly, and for councils, as you mentioned, uh, being provided with those uh, personalised dashboards, I think would be a great tool for them to be able to find ways to continue and improve.
1: Thanks for the feedback.
0: Andrew Greaves is the Victorian Auditor General, speaking with us on a special edition of VLGA Connect. Mm-hmm.